Hello and welcome to that 90s wrestling podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Stoll. Today, our special guest, he is the inaugural NXT champion and he's the UK's own Joe Redman. How are you doing, Joe? Good. Not bad. A bit tired today. I've been up since four for work, but I'm, uh, I'm okay. Wow. Cup of tea here. I'm going to keep me awake a bit. I'll be, I'll be fine. I've just had a cup of coffee, so uh, I'm not too bad at the minute. <laughs> I would go for the coffee, but it keeps me awake. I think I'd stay awake too long. So the nice English tea has gone down better for me today. Yeah, I'm normally a couple of coffees in the morning and a cup of tea on the night time, but tonight I thought I just need a coffee just to, well, uh, I mentioned to you today, uh, earlier, I've just had a long drive today, so I thought I just need a bit of a coffee just to boost myself. Yeah, yeah, I know where you're coming from. Cool. So, uh, I suppose uh, we'll go to the beginning. So, uh, your childhood, was you a fan of wrestling growing up? No, not at all. Not at all. No? Uh, we didn't. Um, I haven't even had a television. I don't remember watching TV as a kid. I I grew up, my, my family are all farmers from Devon. Um, my parents, uh, when I was a kid, bought a house uh, up a sort of dirt track away from the farm. Didn't have any, inter- you know, I didn't have any TV signal, I don't think, but it was a very derelict sort of rundown house and they turned it into quite a nice place to live. So as a yeah. kid, I was, I was always outside and my granddad being a farmer and my dad being a farmer, I was sort of roped into chores from as, you know, as long as I can remember from a very early age. So I was outside getting muddy on the, in the woods and building the treehouse and out hunting <laughs> with my dad when I could, I guess, and uh, farming and yeah, just, I was always outdoors. I didn't, I was yeah. never inside, never playing video games or anything. No. So uh, what got you interested in growing up? Like where did, when did you start training? Uh, I don't know, I was sort of being that sort of isolated and where I was, um, there was a wrestler called Chris Andrews, very good wrestler, and his brother Sam was a wrestler as well. And they lived just a couple of hills over from me. So I'd walk across to their house, another farm yeah. in Devon. And they were into wrestling. And I think I probably went around there and watched War or something on TV. And, and I might have seen my first glimpse of it there. But my first memories of wrestling was watching it live in Exeter and Corn Exchange. And that was just sort of dragged along with Chris and Sam and my friends. And I went there and I watched the show, I don't know, 11 or 12. And I remember James Mason being on the show and Chad Collier and some of those guys. And yeah. I think that's the technical style um, grabbed me. And I'd, I'd played a lot of rugby as a kid and I'd done a lot of judo. I'd always sort of grown up doing judo. So I had a sort of interest in uh, sort of grappling and stuff. So that technical style just just got me from the get-go, really. And that was my introduction to wrestling. Yeah, and um, eventually uh, you found your way to, uh, uh, as you was uh, growing up, uh, you got training. And I noticed that one of the early tags you actually done was with uh, Mark Haskins and... Uh, He's a great talent. So, um, how did it come about? Like, you used to meeting and then started tag teaming? Uh, so, I started, we, it was meant to be a wrestling school in Exeter, and the guy who was going to run it pulled out last second. So, when I was, I think I was 15, <clears throat> I contacted a company called Revolution British Wrestling, and I said, I'll run the school for you, sort of thing, as a kid. And we just brought down like Andy Simmons and Phil Powers, and they all come down, uh, Sammy Ray, and they would train us in this data center in the mats. And eventually the UK kid came down who was trained by Sean Michaels. He started yeah. a school in Portsmouth. So we drive from uh, Devon to Portsmouth on a Saturday to train. Um, we train for like two hours and drive back home again. And there was one lad that came from Penzance. He'd get a train from Penzance to Exeter. And then he'd sit wow. in the car to Portsmouth. But that's how, you know, back then there wasn't as many schools. So no. you had to do that. You had to travel three or four hours to learn how to wrestle. That's the way it was. So we just went there. And then uh, Chris Andrews is like a Greek god ever see his physique he was built really really well uh, i was a fat kid i was very overweight as a kid um, <laughs> i didn't really get any bookings I'd, I'd watch chris get all the bookings and, and rightfully so you know he was he's a more naturally gifted wrestler than me much yeah. better body but i'd have to sit there and watch uh, and one time mark sloan of the fwa academy was looking for wrestlers for some of his shows and he asked the uk kid if you got anybody and i think UK kid just sort of threw it to me because chris was busy and sam was busy you know so i'll just we'll throw joel in there and and I was a terrible wrestler, but I was, I was a hard worker with the ring. And I put the ring up really well, and I worked really hard, and I wanted to learn. And I think Mark saw that. And that's where Mark Sloan sort of invited me to come down and train with those boys at the Super 8 training when the F2A Academy closed. And Haskins is one of those guys there. So me and Haskins moved to Portsmouth together. He lived uh, in the Cotswolds, um, Farringdon. And we yeah. moved down to Portsmouth, just got a rundown little flat together didn't have any money like I remember sleeping on the floor for the first couple of months we couldn't afford a bed and like uh, I didn't think we had electric for a while to get some money together to pay the electric bill but that's just how it was and then we trained like five times a week and we'd work in like a nightclub picking up glasses or you know it was just 
making ends meet really but it made you be a good wrestler because we had to do well wrestling to make any money to sort of pay the bills so it was a good way of doing it and, and you look you know Haskins is world class he's one of the best in the world so to be around him on a regular basis and training with him and watching how he wrestled because he's naturally very gifted he sort of rubs yeah. off and see you a little bit yeah um like growing up like so I grew up a fan and uh like like I used to watch, like you know the Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warriors and that and these larger than life figures, but I didn't really understand like the hard work that actually goes into becoming a wrestler. And when you hear stories like what you've just explained and the likes of William Regal and um, I've interviewed uh, Nicole just recently and like the things he had to do and things like that, you don't realize till you start talking to wrestlers that amount of hard work and like the sacrifices they have to make. Even like the uh, the Rock, he was on like a pristine mattress and he had seven dollars. Yeah, yeah. At one point, it makes so, you uh, successful. I mean, when I was 16, I think I went away on the sort of holiday camps for the first time with Phil Powers and his team. And you know, I didn't wrestle obviously, I just refereed, but I sort of almost be like a bit of a dog's body. They treated me well, but I was a bit of a dog's body. And you just referee sometimes. Now, if you were lucky, they get you in the ring before and they teach you a few things and they show you a few holes and reversals and stuff. But you know, I think it's a good way of uh, getting into the business. But there wasn't as many, there wasn't very many schools. So there wasn't many yeah. people coming in, you know. So they were sort of like, you get they get rid of you pretty quick if you weren't very good, and they they end up with the guys that were serious about it. Yeah, and uh, eventually you make your way towards uh, premier promotions. So that was yeah, for yeah. Brits, that was a big deal. So what was it like when you got the call? It was like well, we want you to start working some of our shows. Yeah, that's that's like my one of my th- fondest memories of wrestling. Really, I mean, I was a teenager when I was in premier promotions and. I think the first match was me and Sloan against Steve Gray and Mouse Sanders. And then the next one was like Johnny Kidd. And then there was Danny Boy Collins, probably Brookside, Doug. You know, like the, it was just the who's who of wrestling. And again, I wasn't, I was never a natural wrestler, really. I struggled a lot. And I was very, very green, I'm completely out of my depth. But it's kind of like sink or swim, I guess. And you go in there with those guys and they just, they rag you around for six rounds. And I'd lose 2 0. But you know, every time something would rub off on me, it just could be a couple of holds or just listening to the crowd or just something would just rub off a little bit. And yeah, it was such a good experience. And, you know, I'm really grateful for John Fremantle for, I guess, yeah. seeing, seeing potential in me um, and giving me those opportunities. Yeah, one of the guys yeah, he'd done some work with as well was uh, Doug Williams, which for every British wrestler and every British fan, he's such an inspiration to everyone. So yeah, did yeah. you... Uh, spend much time in the ring with Doug Williams or or even in the locker room just learning from him yeah loads loads of matches with Doug I was really lucky that I had his last match for All-Star in Gravesend it was the second to last match he did a match That's in uh, Germany maybe after that and that was his final match um, before he put the boots away so it was like his second to last match that was really cool to wrestle in there and uh, I'd always sort of looked up to Doug and I did know his show in 2008 in the Coventry Skydome and like I never would have done that show it wasn't for Doug like, again Doug saw something in me from a young age and he gave me the opportunity at Noah to be the opener with Aoki we did the yeah. 20, minute, 20 minute draw and that opened a lot of doors for me you know it actually in turn whatever it was 11 years later got me a job at All Japan so like it you know it's it done a lot for me that that match for my career and that was all down to Doug you know it was all down to him really yeah he's one of the greats and uh like and he's a gentleman too like he's an amazing wrestler but he's so down to earth and humble and he's what you should be he's what you should aspire to be in the ring and outside the ring you know what you should be in the changing rooms as well yeah uh like i mentioned earlier um i spoke to nicole this, uh about a month ago and um we spoke about doug williams and he said i wouldn't be anywhere without doug williams he, if without him i wouldn't have had a career so yeah, it's yeah. nice everyone has the same opinion of doug williams i would love to have him on the show one day but yeah, uh, yeah. Like a 10-hour interview <laughs> But, I mean, I've spoke to, like, uh, Eddie Ryan. We're very good friends, me and Eddie Ryan. And if we're at shows with Doug, you know, as you would do, we will go up to Doug and ask him for his advice on our matches. Please, Doug, have you got anything? And, and he'll always sort of say to us that there's nothing I can really tell you boys anymore. You kind of, you guys kind of know what you're doing. He said, it's a lot of the other lads that are new in the job now that don't come and ask me for advice or feedback, and they're the ones that should be. And maybe that's an old thing that we don't do anymore, that when I started, it was very commonplace to go up to the older guys and, and ask for advice and ask for their opinion because people don't want to really give it to you. It is dog eat dog this business. You need to make connections and you need to approach wrestlers and ask them. And it's kind of been lost a little bit in this country, yeah. which is a shame. You know, it is changing a bit now, I think, but there was a period where you found a lot of guys wouldn't do that. And 
they need to. That's how you get better. Yeah. And uh, another chap you uh, wrestled around this time as well was uh, Party Marty Skell. So uh, what was it like working with him at the time? Yeah, it was good. I remember, I remember some of those tag matches, me and Haskins against him and Zach. And um, yeah, I remember them being like, I look back at them now, I probably cringe on some of those matches. But at the time, I think they were good, you know, and they were getting real good exposure for us on the sort of internet community, which was, which was cool. And uh, you look at the four of us that had good careers since those matches. So, I mean, it, we all went on to do good things, which is quite nice to look back at it now and see where we went from there. Yeah, Marcy, again, was a great wrestler. You know, he's found his niche in the villain thing. He's really come into his own. Uh, he was always a great wrestler, but he, he needed that character to yeah. go to the top level. And he's found a really good character and he's really invested a lot of time into it. Um, so, yeah, he's brilliant. You know, I remember I had a wrestling and really was kicking him too hard once on Instagram and knocking him silly, which I would still apologise to this day for. But, yeah, he's a great wrestler. <laughs> And you mentioned him earlier, uh, Robbie Brookside, which for British fans, you know, one of the all-time greats. So um, I was like sitting under the learning tree of him and like wrestling him. Yeah, great. I mean, in the first match with Robbie, I was probably 18. And uh, I think he went to give me like a rolling crutch, like a, like a schoolboy. And yeah. he went to, normally you'd roll backwards. And I sat down and I broke his ribs in the match. Wow. <laughs> and uh, he comes to train us in NXT years, years later. And he obviously come there as the trainer. And he just knew me straight away as the rib breaker. It was the first thing he said to me was how I broke his ribs at Premier in 2007 or something. And I was like, oh, God, that's never going to die. You know, <laughs> accidents happen, I guess. And I can imagine, like you said, uh, traveling up and down the UK, you must have some pretty uh, fun road stories, like going driving the venues and uh, around the holiday camps. Uh, is there any fun uh, road story off the top of your head, what you can think of? No, there's lots of good stories. I mean, some of them I wouldn't want to put on a podcast. I don't know. <laughs> not, not for my sake, but for some of the other people's sake. But yeah, you know, it's the life of a wrestler. And yeah, I can't think of stuff now. But I can think of some good ribs. I remember I did a good rib on uh, a guy called Gilligan Gordon. And yeah. We did some shows. In a, I was running some shows in Tinmouth in the Carlson Theatre. It's like an old old theatre hall. And I had this big stack of like rolled up. It was, like, it was fake 20 pound notes, but they look really good, real genuine notes. And I put it in his bag, and all the boys went back home. And I rang Yeston Reeves, who's good mates with Gideon Gordon. And I said, Oh, Yeston, I've got a problem here. But, uh, the police have called me. Someone stole a thousand pounds from the box office. And they rang the police and they're investigating it. And obviously, Gilligan's opened his kit bag when he's got home and he's seen this board of notes. And he thinks someone's <laughs> planting the money on him. So he's panicking back at his house. And we leave it a few days before we break the news that it's actually fake notes. They're not real. And it was just a, just a rib, but that was a, that was a good one. But. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's lots cool. of stories, but it's been, yeah, it's a good life, you know. Like, a, we've missed it this year. We've missed being on the holiday camps and the travelling. And yeah, that's, when you go with a good team of guys and you've got a good car for us, one of the highlights of wrestling, really, has been able to do that. Yeah, I can imagine. And uh, right, well, there you go. In 2012, um, WV came calling FCW. So, uh, how well, did you do a tryout match or did they send some scouts over to come and have a look at you? Uh, I think they'd asked Drew. McDonald's to sort of get in touch with me and uh, they were interested in seeing me. So I saw him once at a training thing in Nottingham and he, he approached me there and just said, they've been looking to have a look at you. They've heard about you and fill in this form online and we'll get you along to a tryout. And I went to one in Manchester and it didn't go particularly well, but they said, come back to London to the O2 and we'll look at you again and see what we think. And I sort of came back in a bit better shape and it was better for me. The first one was like a cold match, just getting there with someone yeah. to wrestle. And it just didn't, it didn't work well. The guy was wrestling. We just didn't, we didn't mix well at the time. And then when I went back to the O2, it was just tag in, tag out, just put holes on each other, just mat work and show some aggression. And, you know, it was everything that I've sort of been trained how to do, really. And it was, it was perfect for me. And, yeah, they gave me a contract there. It was the same contract as Paige signed at the same time. Was it the same, same day? Time. Yeah. Same day. Yeah. Same day. Oh, but that was a good experience. Was, it was nice in a way to rebuild it with my dad. My, my dad played you know, real good rugby and he, he tore his knee and didn't play anymore. And, you know, I played rugby as a kid and I think he would have liked me to have played rugby more. And I sort of gave it up to be a wrestler. Um, yeah. And when you come and watch your son in front of 50 people in a village hall wrestling, it's, it's cool, but it's not, it's not serious, yeah. right? It doesn't look like a serious job. So when I got offered the contract with WWE and I sort of moved to Florida, it was nice to be able to call him and say, they offered me a job, you know, and I'm going to move to to Tampa and it was just a nice justification really for what I'd chosen to do for my life and yeah, yeah. that was the best, best bit for me and a couple of the lads that were there in WWE when I was sitting backstage coming up to me and saying I watched your work today and 
he reminded us of a Dynamite Kid. Actually, I don't, oh. I'm nothing like Dynamite Kid, but it reminded me of a Dynamite Kid, which was cool for a British guy to hear that. You always think that's pretty yeah. cool. He's one of the sort of real icons of British wrestling. Yeah. What was the, uh, <laughs> the big difference between Devon and uh, Florida? <laughs> oh, yeah, massive difference. Yeah, from a farm to a big city was a big, big change. But So what was it like uh, stepping through the doors of like? fcw for the first time uh, like obviously a lot more people's um you know really uh, connected with nxt now the more used to that but fcw never had half the mainstream that nxt does so like what was fcw like at the time yeah it was just daunting you know like a very daunting i'm lucky that i knew brown from england so oh yeah so like I, tom so like i'd, I'd message him and find out where he was living so i moved into the same complex and i went around his house the first day and he sort of sat me down and told me like it's a good, it's a good guy. This guy, be wary of. You know, I mean, he sort of gave me the, the ins on who who was going to be a nice guy there and who was the guys to buddy up with a little bit. And so I had an idea of what to expect from people when I went in. But everyone was okay. But it's uh, it's competitive there. But in, in yeah. FCW, there was like thirty of us. There was thirty people. So you think, well, yes, yeah, it's pretty cool. My chances of going up to the main roster are pretty good here. You know, if I do well. And my first session, with me and Martin Stone were put in the beginners class, and I guess they could tell we. We'd wrestled for a while and they bumped us right up into a much higher class straight away. And we were working the house shows that weekend. So they just got us straight onto the house shows. And yeah, it was good in the, in that terms. But it but at the same time getting that sort of treatment was bad because you can rub some of the other guys up the wrong way and they think you're getting a bit of a push when you know it is what it is. But it was it was yeah. good experience. And was, you know, when I look back at it now and you think of some of the guys that I was there training with, like Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns and Bray Wyatt and all these guys that were there with me. The career are great careers now, so it's cool to look back and think I was there with them at the same time when they were training and sort of yeah, training with them and having house show matches with them. And then you look at them, look at them now, yeah. And uh, the one guy you did have a couple of matches with, and uh, I noticed in FCW was uh, Big E. And uh, I love Big E, I think he should be like pushed to the top, but he's got such a personality. But I can imagine that per- same personality is backstage as well i can imagine he's just such a fun guy to be around with yeah he's a fun guy he's quite quiet though backstage he's quite really? a, just, yeah he's just he's a good guy you know he's one of the good guys you get i don't know i've always said with americans and it's not a stereotype at all because i like americans i'm not trying to knock them but i think you got one or the other of americans you've either got the very loud yeah. it's not arrogant but very overconfident americans yeah. so he's not the sort of cowboys he's sort of real quiet down-to-earth guys and there's not really much middle ground you know and, not that Big E's a cowboy, but he's a very down-to-earth person. He's very quiet in the back, and he's very, you know, he'll speak when he needs to speak. He's not not too much of a big showman in the changing rooms, which is what I yeah. prefer. I get on better with those people. So. Yeah, but he was great to work, you know, and he's stupidly strong. We used to train at John, oh, Cena's, John Cena's gym at Hard Knock South, and there was a one-ton club thing, and he was the strongest guy of all the boys there. He was just a freak. His bench press was so strong, but yeah, good guys to get around Cool. And uh, eventually FCW transitioned into NXT. So was there much of a difference at first when they started changing like the name of the show and the formats and everything? Um, yeah, we started going to full sales to do the tapings. So it was just a lot bigger. Um, yeah. And then obviously the performance center was huge, huge contrast. You know, it's hard to even explain. FCW was like a little warehouse in Tampa and it was no air conditioning. And if it was hot, if you were lucky, they might open the shutter door. But hot in Tampa is yeah. seriously hot. And a shutter door being open in a steel or a tin roof warehouse doesn't do very much. So the heat inside that building in the summer was crazy. And But I, you know, I quite like that sort of rough and ready thing, being a farm boy, I guess. And then the NXT Performance Center was just all top, top of the range, $4 million place with air conditioning and changing rooms and showers and all this stuff that we never had in FCW. That was kind of different. Cool. And because uh, obviously NXT to begin with was kind of like a, a game show. That, you know, you used to have your rookies with your coaches there. Was there ever any talk of like you participating in one of them seasons? Because they had like three or four seasons. Yeah, I think that probably was just happening or just about to finish happening when I went out there. Um, right. I got there, FCW tapings were still happening for FCW yeah. uh, to a TV. And it was just moving into the NXT sort of TV right. taping. So I mean it wasn't I was probably there I don't know, two, three months and they started filming the NXT sort of weekly episodes at full sale. Yeah. Um yeah, I can remember I think I can remember the first episode they did. And I remember the tournament Seth 
Rollins won for the belt. I remember that heavyweight tournament being early on in my days there. So yeah, yeah. And um, they uh, renamed you uh, Oliver Gray when you went to transition to NXT. So uh, yeah. where did Oliver Gray come from? They just said give us um, a list of ten famous British wrestlers' surnames. And uh, I've always been a big Steve Gray fan. When I started studying wrestling, so Steve, yeah, his name was straight up there, top of the list. It was Gray. Um, I don't know what else I had. Kid, Saint, whatever you know, Rocco. I don't know what it was, but it was like a list of ten famous British wrestler surnames, and then they just wanted like a traditional English first name. So I put Richard or whatever. I mean, Oliver was there, and then just Oliver Gray, which was cool. A lot of the boys would say Oliver Closed Off, like the joke they all have, but <laughs> Oliver Grace was all right with me. And it just it was Steve Gray. It was the grey name, so I quite like him. Oh, yeah, it was, it was fine. Yeah. And uh, I presume uh, Dusty was there at the same time. So, um, yeah, yeah. Well, you like, like interacting with him and like learning under each tree, I suppose. Yeah, he's better to teach your promos and Dusty Rhodes, you know, and he was the promo class. So, we'd uh, I think it was a Wednesday evening or something, we'd go there and do our promos, and he was in charge of that. So, yeah, really good. He's just trying to get his attention, though, just trying to do a good promo. I'm not a good yeah. I'm a terrible interview. I've always been a bad bad at that, but with his help it was getting better. You know, we were trying to find a bit of a character for me. And I don't know. I think for me, my first um session there, because it was um Tom Pritchard had just left. So what was his name? Bill DeMott had just started being the head coach. So he did like his first day, they had like a tryout, an open tryout for people with next door. So they had Perry Saturn t-shirts for the first few sessions. And I like Perry Saturn as a kid, so that was kind of cool to of him and then Di Malenko would come in and train us sometimes. I was a big Malenko fan, so that was good. And uh, yeah. my first coach for the first six months was Ricky Steamboat, you know, which is oh, wow. a big deal, I guess, if you're a wrestler to be trained by Ricky Steamboat, especially for me. I'm, you know, I've made most of my career out of being a, a sort of blue eye, so he's the best of all time. So if you can be trained by him, how to sell and how to do comebacks and hope spots, don't really get much better than that. And you do take yeah. it for granted when you're there, you kind of forget sometimes that you've you're getting this opportunity and you're around these people and it is just taken for granted and it shouldn't be. There's things yeah. that have gone in my time and I wish I'd asked more questions and learned more from them, but yeah, you know, it's just hindsight, isn't it? It's just one of those things. Yeah. And uh you mentioned uh Bill DeMott, which uh he got released because of some allegations about his training sessions went a bit too far. And uh I don't yeah. know if you had any sessions with him, but was it a case that he was being Cruel to be kind, or was it basically just over the top when it came to his sessions? Oh, good, well, good question. That um, I mean, my name was in the letter, so the guy, um, I thought probably breaking all the cafe, Luchasaurus, <laughs> you know. So, Luchasaurus was yeah. the guy in NXT, so he he wrote the letter, which um, I guess got Bill in trouble. And my name was in the letter, which was crazy. Right. I, I had no problems with Bill, I think it was some thing where he, like, he told me to wrestle naked or something, it was complete complete bollocks like it wasn't true at all and i just messaged bill straight away and said i hope you know that's nothing to do with me now i always liked bill from day one and yeah. i've got nothing to do with that and he messaged me back and said he he, you know, he knew i wasn't involved and he knew that there wasn't any problem there and but i had no problems with bill and he was tough yeah. on us you know like he was really tough and there was days when you know he wanted our conditioning to be good so we would do conditioning days and they were tough you know i can't put that any other way that if you were sick in a bin you were getting away lightly but that it's how it should be. You see the top level. If you're there and you're signed for a contract and you were getting decent money, yeah, you're expected to be a top level athlete. And if you're not, yeah. then you should be shown the door. So you need to, and you, you only get better when you're out your depth. So if someone pushes you in conditioning to the point where you are completely out your depth and you are blown up, well, that's how you get better, you know? So yeah. he was a tough coach, I guess, in ways, but at the same time, he was a man. That's what I liked about yeah. him. He was a real man and, and you could go to him with legit problems and he'd he sit you down, he'd give you some real good advice, and it wasn't too much sort of, you know, sort of bullshit that you get with some other people or other coaches, and he was just straight to the point. And yeah, I always yeah. got him Bill. I had no problems with Bill at all. It's a shame he lost his job, and yeah, he was never a problem with me. I really liked the guy. Yeah, uh, a lot of them guys, I don't think they'll be able to handle the uh, British skills, if that's the case. <laughs> well, it's just hard conditioning. It's like anything, it's like anything in the world. If, if you go somewhere and, and you fail, it's, there's two ways you can deal with that. You can either get better and improve, or you can bitch about it and, and complain. You know, a lot of people, the easy way out is just to bitch about it and say it was he was a bully or he was mistreating us, you know? Where the truth is probably you weren't in the shape you should have been in. You should have got yourself in shape. That was, you know, that's the way it is, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's a, 
a similar story with me. Like I'm a builder, and when I was 16, I went to you know just commute college, learn how to be a bricklayer. Yeah. And the first couple of weeks, you're you know you're in the uh, upstairs doing your paperwork, health and safety, yeah. blah blah. But then, like after three weeks, you're on the workshop floor, and we used to have like our tutors, and they'll just be like, "Yeah, you're laying that brick right, you're laying this wrong, and that." And uh, there used to be the one guy, and he was from London. I forgot his name, Mister Quinn, and he would come around to me, and he'd be like, "You can do better job than that, James." What hard, yeah. but you know, you mean well. And so yeah. I'd be like, and, like as a sixteen year old, I'd be like, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" So yeah. I would take. The other lads there, they would just drop out like flies and be like, oh, he's bullying us. I'm like, no, he's just actually telling you what to do. You know, yeah, throw yeah, a spike. So I it. imagine it's the same thing. Exactly the same thing. And like I said to you before, we went on the air, like I've started um, coaching for RevPro and I've, I've just opened my wrestling school here in Salisbury. And, you know, I, I really, I absolutely have a passion for teaching wrestling to people. And I love wrestling, obviously, I've been all my life. So I love to teach wrestling, but you have got to kind of read. One of the skills of being a coach is reading your your students and some people take advice differently and you've got to kind of work out what what gets the most out of people and for me i like to be told straight up to the point if you yeah. tell me I'm, I'm rubbish i won't bitch about it i'll go and get better yeah, that's that's the way i am i'm competitive as a person whereas some people you do need to have a different approach and that's just it's not a bad thing that's just the way that we're all we all have different characteristics and different ways of being mentored and maybe yeah. bill at times just didn't read certain people at the school the right way and if he if he had realized that they were going to take his stuff that way i'm sure he would have changed slightly and you know approached them at a different angle but that's just part of the skills of being a coach i guess yeah but um eventually uh they teamed up to go with um adrian neville which everyone knows him as pat so uh what was it like when um these two obviously two english lads being put together so uh you must have been pretty chuffed with that yeah great i mean it's when you're out there you're on your own a bit because you yeah. are you know i was 23 when i went there or something early 20s and i'm i'm in tampa there and you don't know many people and because it is dog eat dog you know it don't make a lot of close friends so all the british boys really stick together so me and martin and, and tom and brown and, and you had sort of like a, a guy called zulu warrior ozzy who came over and, and the guy called joker bray who runs ott came over and oh, yeah. whenever they'd come over because the way tom had looked after me when i went out there i sort of felt like that was my job next so when Joe came over, he'd stay at mine when he first got there and I'd take him to get his national insurance number and um, find him a place to live and do all the things that you kind of need someone to do that you don't realise until you're signed that really, really helps if you've got someone there who can just, just give you a hand, just let you know where yeah. things are because it's quite a daunting experience. Uh, so it's the same when, when, when Pat came. It was just like having another Brit on our little team, you know, and I'd known him already from England. One of my first matches was a six-man tag for Mark Sloan me pack and another stevie lynn maybe something yeah, like that that's right. yeah. it was the three of us against the the three chavs and that was like <laughs> a, one of my first matches and then whatever it was seven years later we tagged together in nxt which is kind of weird that it goes around but yeah i mean i just sometimes i watch there stand there in the tags on the apron and just forget the whole match because i'm just watching this guy perform and you know how good he is and you just it's getting blown away by how good he is in the ring and yeah, it's just like playing with Haskins, just being in tags with them and just being able to be that close to the action and just watching how they wrestle. You know, you can pick a lot of things up from them. So it was a great experience for me. And he's a really good guy and a nice guy. And yeah, he's one of the best I've ever seen between the ropes. Cool. And uh, they got put you in the tournament to uh, crown the first ever NXT tag champ spot. On the way, you defeated uh, 3MB, uh, Heath and uh, Drew McIntyre. And uh, like, I've been mcintyre fan like for such a long time and to finally see him at the top is great but you know how proud are you like of your fellow like countrymen basically you know achieving what he has it's like i said about Big E, you know he's just such a down-to-earth person I, I can't, yeah. it's just there's no there's no ego you know a lot of wrestlers and it, it can't be helped sometimes if you get quite famous so you do really well for yourself you do get i guess a bit of an ego and that's just anything in life you know and that's, you can't help that sometimes with people but i've i've known drew a, a long time and i've seen him in different parts of his career and he's never changed he's always been the same drew you know doesn't matter if he's the top of his game or if he's you know back when i first met him for all-star you know he's he's just always been the same guy he's always been approachable he's always been a, a top policy pro you know again he's one of those people that you can just learn a lot from the way he acts outside the ring, just like Doug, you know, the way they conduct themselves in the changing room, the way they approach the rest of the boys. 
Cool. And uh, in the finals, you defeated the uh, White family, Luke Harper and Eric Rowan. So, um, which they've gone well. Luke Harper, like he's went to AEW now, which he's doing things Brody Lee for everyone who's forgot his WWE name. Uh, he's in the AEW now. He's doing well. But um, when management told you, right, we're going to put the belts on you, it's like, how did you feel? Like being told, like, right, you're going to be our first ever tag team champions. Yeah, it's crazy. And we were like thrown together last minute because the Ascension were taking out the tournament. So we never yeah, yeah. even thought we'd go past the first round. So it was, and that was probably, it, to be honest, it was just down to us performing well because I don't think we were planned to ever win it, you know, let alone beat 3MB. And because we worked hard and we put on good performances, we were given the belts, you know. I think it was just down to hard work. I, I don't, maybe it was the plan all along. I'd be very, yeah. very surprised if it was. I was pretty sure the Wyatts were meant to win that tournament and they were going to get put up on TV. Uh, and we were just very fortunate we were in the right place and did our jobs best we could and got the belts and uh, we were about to skyrocket from there you know I was getting a call to ask what tracksuit size I was and we were gonna go up and uh, go up on the main roster it was all all set to go ahead and, and oh, wow. yeah, imagine the next thing you're going to bring up is my injury and I end up blowing my knee out on a house show against Bray Wyatt and tore my ACL and that was nine months on the shelf and everything was scrapped Right. I didn't um like obviously I was gonna get to the injury, but um I didn't realise it was gonna call you up uh, so soon um to the main yeah, roster. Yeah. So six months being there. I hadn't been there very long. Uh Ben or sorry, Pack had probably been there like three months, four months. Yeah. And that was it. We were we were about to go up. You know, we won the belts and be our picture on the train school wall and it was just you know, we were going up to the main the main roster. Uh and I, it was meant to be go to WrestleMania for the access that year in New York and we'd been to the Royal Rumble in Phoenix already to do access. I was Looking forward to going to WrestleMania because obviously I've never been, I never have been even now. But uh, I'd like, I'd like to have gone, and you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, we just did a house show, and uh, we went for like a body slam, land behind. I landed badly on my knee. I went down. Um, Adam Rose came out uh, and finished the match for me in a tag match, and I sort of tried to just uh, pretend it was fine. They prodded my knee around backstage, and I just said it was nice, oh, fine. So I'm all good, I'm all good. Drove my car back home. Thought I got away with it. Went to train the next yeah. day, and just. Stopped my foot down and then the meniscus in between your knee just flipped over inside my knee. And I went down, straight down, I had an MRI scan and then they called me and just said you'd be out for nine months with an injury and all the plans were sort of scrapped. And I felt more sorry for Pac in a way because, yeah, again, he was about to go up there and because of my injury, he was there for a lot longer than he should have been and had to wait to go back up properly. All right. And uh, what's it like recovering from a bad injury? Uh, I mean, for example... <laughs> Like last November, I had to put up some Christmas lights and <laughs> my ladder slipped and I fell. Yeah. And uh, I ended up like fracturing my spine. And <laughs> yeah, I couldn't move for like weeks. And uh, like the recovery, like I got, like, it was, fortunately, it was a stable fracture. And like I recovered quite well. Like I can still feel it now, but I can do what I need to do now, uh, which is no problem. But uh, so I understand like, what kind of recovery you have to do but for someone like in such a physical demanding job in wrestling and you're recovering for like nine months like it must just like play on your mind just being sort of thinking this thing would heal yeah it's not the it's not the pain of the injury and you know, if anyone has torn the uh, knee ligaments and stuff i know it's a lot of pain post-surgery but it wasn't the pain that got to me it was the mental mental game really you know i just couldn't do anything i, I was sort of going my crutches down to the gym in the uh, the place where I live, like a little gym built in, and I'd go down and do some chin ups and some chest press. And then someone saw me in the gym one day, and they told the office, and the office were telling me not to train. I need to be resting, but I, just, I couldn't rest. You know, I'm there in Florida. I'm away from all my friends and family. You know, and I sort of like when I got signed, I'd left Devon thinking I was going there for the rest of my life to be a yeah. major star, and I was so close to going up to the main road and. To have it sort of taken away from me i was just dying to get back at it and just get back up that ladder again and get up there and get on the main roster and i just couldn't do anything for nine months and you're subjected to sort of sitting there watching the training and then you might be able to do a few side steps for band around your knees try and get it warmed up and it's very difficult mentally and, and that's probably my downfall was the injury not so much yeah. what it affected my my in-ring performances but just the way that you know it sort of messed me up a little bit mentally yeah. deal with and uh yeah, I didn't. I had my attitude slipped, and it's what cost me my job in the end. I think, but I was young, I guess. Yeah, like as you made your return, but like within weeks, yeah, you was released, which I was shocked because um, 
like I that there's a I thought there was quite well, especially for UK fans. Like there was a lot of hype, thinking, right, he's finally coming back. It's been up so long. Mm. Let's see what I can do. And they put you in a couple of matches, but then within weeks, like you were gone. So, mm. what was amazing was it like, you know, uh, they did they didn't trust that you know your injury might play up again, or was there another reason why they decided to release you? I don't know. My first match back on TV, I, I went over really strong on the lads, and uh, they didn't film that episode, so it didn't get aired. I don't know why with some problems with the cameras. So that was kind of like, just, oh, here we go. Another another thing's gone wrong for me. But And then I had my back at training one day. And uh, I remember I had this big knee brace on. You know, like Steve Austin used to wear these big metal knee braces. And I couldn't do the, the vaults very well. Uh, Brookside was training us. And I just, I took the knee brace off and I just slammed it into the floor. And it wasn't because I was pissed off at Robbie. I was pissed off at myself. You know, I'd gone from being, no, I never said I'm a great athlete, but I was a decent athlete. To not yeah. really been able to do these vaults, and that was really messing with my head, and that uh, got me in a bit of trouble the way I acted that one day. And then from there, I don't know, it was just me and Martin Stone were put together, or sorry, Danny Birch put together, and we did this sort of cockney gangster thing, which was doing well on house shows, but it didn't, it didn't want to pull the trigger on NXT to use that gimmick. And yeah, this is what it is, you know. I definitely didn't conduct myself well at certain times, and I should have done done a lot more, but. It's just hindsight, you know. I can't, I can't change, can't change the past. So there's no point worrying about it. And I'm just yeah. thankful I had a couple of years there and met a lot of cool people and I had that experience in my life, I guess. So yeah, it's really because I think they uh, released mine around, around the same time or not long after. Same day. Same day. Same day was exactly the same day. It was me, him, wow. uh, Eddie Guerrero's daughter, and uh, Mason Shall. Ryan. And Mason Ryan, we got released the same day. The four of us. He was a big shock. He was because, uh, <laughs> I mean, just look at the guy. <laughs> um, yeah, big mistake, I think, really. I think it's, uh, yeah. you need some freaks in the business. I think it's really missing them. So that was a big, big mistake, I think, from them. But I don't know what it was. And then with Mason Ryan, he did everything they asked him to do. You know, they, they were trying to make him be something that I don't think he's meant to be. They were trying to make him be very athletic and do a lot of yeah. lot more high risk maneuvers, which just didn't suit him. He stood out as it was from the way he looked. How else? They could have used investor, I think, but I don't know. They know better than me. You know, they're billion-dollar companies. So. Yeah. And uh, not long after this, um, you appeared on the uh, second season of British Boot Camp, like Impact Wrestling, and um, like because uh, I watched the first season, which I loved. I recently interviewed uh, the Blossom Twins. Yeah. And uh, at that time, and then season two came along, and I, I watched it years ago, but I rewatched it uh, recently, and I'm thinking the amount of talent that was on the shows, you know, gone on to like all different companies, and you came on, and you and Martin again, and um, made it for your tryouts, and which was great, and I thought you had a really good match, but they decided not to take you up, and um, all respect to Grado, love Grado, he's a great personality, but I'm like, you're putting Grado through, you're not putting Joe, I mean, have you seen the guy? Look at him. Yeah. So, well, I think that's the old not being able to cut a promo thing that was haunting me again. You know, I just I really, I'm, I've never been good at it. I've never been interested. I, as a kid, I was a Benoit fan and a Guerrero fan. Yeah. And Angle and people. I, was, I like their ring work with Finley. Yeah. I've never got drawn to The Rock or Austin or any of these people. I just love watching pure wrestling. And, and I should always practice my promos better, but I just, I've got no sort of natural charisma like a grey though you know i'm just a wrestler i just go in there and i let my wrestling do the talking and i like to think in some ways i'm a wrestler's wrestler you know a lot of the, yeah. the internet won't go crazy about me but the boys in the back will respect me if i turn up and they'll, they'll know that they're in for a hard match to with me but that doesn't that doesn't translate well to tv you know like they don't want you down tv yeah but, but like even as a major company i mean that's why we have managers if like you know you've got a big guy you know who say struggles with these promos why you give him a manager like to help him? I mean, look at Brock Lesnar. Like, I can't imagine he cut many promos when he came with Proud of minutes. You know, he became what he became, and uh, yeah, that's sure. why that's the thing that we man. actually miss wrestling managers. I'm, definitely, but I'm not Brock Lesnar, so if I was Brock Lesnar, <laughs> it might have been a different story at the boot camp. But I'm not but, a Lesnar, but we'll see. <laughs> and also, but, to be honest with you, everything you know, I look back at it, I just think, well. You know, say I'd gone because the boot camp was pretty much since I came back to England. If uh, if that had gone well and they'd offered me a contract, well, I mean, I've spent the last six years of all star wrestling and I've learned more at all star yeah. than I've learned anywhere in the world. You know, they're to me the best wrestlers in the world. 
and if I'd gone to TNA or something and they had given me a contract, I wouldn't have had the last six years' experience with Brian Dixon. Exactly. So I think, well, you know, everything works out for a reason. So, I mean, it's made me almost a better wrestler staying in England because, you know, as a kid, I'd watched All Star live and I'd been there at a very young age when I first started wrestling and I'd always sort of thought in my head I'd love to be part of this team and be able to be full time with them. That was a yeah. big deal for me. And uh, I won the heavyweight belt three years ago or something. And that was, as much as NXT tag belts obviously meant a lot to me, that was, that meant more. You know, winning that belt was the biggest thing I've ever won. And when I was a 16-year-old going there to referee the shows, I never thought I'd be the All-Star champion. It was like the land of the giants. So to win their title belt was the biggest one I've ever won. Yeah, the um, British scene, like the past 10, 12 years even, it's just... It's picked up so much and um, it's great. And watch it, you know, seeing All Stars still doing so well and like, you know, yeah. all these other sh- it's just, um, it's great. And like, once everything, you know, calms down while we're locked down and, you know, COVID, we can start getting these shows back. And that's probably the one thing I regret is not going to as many British shows, which I would have liked. But yeah. once well, it gets back to normal, I would love to uh, go back to some shows. What I love with uh, with British wrestling is the, is the contrast in audiences, and you don't yeah. get that anywhere else in the world. Because I've not seen it in Japan. I don't think they really get it in in America or anything. But in England, this you can have such a contrast in where you perform. You know, I wrestled for Rev Pro at the York Hall, and then I might wrestle at Butlins for All Star. And it's there's no difference in how hard you work. You work just as hard, maybe even harder at Butlins because they're not a wrestling audience, but. The way the crowd reacts to you are completely different because at one environment you've got the, you know, quite knowledgeable wrestling fans at your call. At Butlins you've got families on holiday who aren't paying for a ticket; they're just wandering past. And a lot of them don't even like wrestling. So you're trying to convert people who don't even like it into enjoying what you're doing in the ring. So it's a yeah. complete contrast in crowds, and that's why I think England is the best place for any wrestler to come and learn the business because you have to learn every different aspect and every different style, and how to interact with every different type of person in order to be successful here. So, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I remember uh, attending the shows, like in Butlins, that when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> Me and my kid, we used to love, like, watch them. It used to be on, like, every day. And so we, yeah. we used to just walk over and watch them. We used to love them so much. Yeah. And you're not paying for a ticket. So I've always thought that Butlins yeah. is, like, the, one of the hardest places to, to get yourself over, really, because you're, yeah. you're resting in front of an audience that maybe, they, you know, a lot of the dads and mums don't want to be there. They just drag their kid there. So if you can win them over and entertain them for an hour show... Yeah, you're doing a hell of a job because to, to entertain a wrestling fan, yeah, it is difficult now because they're so knowledgeable, but nice. they are paying for a ticket and they have come to watch wrestling. Whereas the people that are just wandering past the skyline, to make them actually stop and watch your match is, is difficult and it's a real good skill to have. Yeah. And um, in 2015, you uh, united uh, with Haskins again. So that must have been something you missed like when you was in America, like not tagging with. Haskins so much, so it must have been great to come back and start tagging with him again. Yeah, I remember the first match we tagged back together was against the Hooligans at the York Hall, and uh, it did an angle. I think me and Martin were tagging before that, and they jumped us in the ring, and then Martin wasn't there for the next one. He went back to the States, and it was like I had to find a partner. Uh, and you don't know if people are going to remember our tag team, because it was a long time before that. It was yeah. four or five years since we teamed together, and it was a really good ovation when he came out, and we were sort of reunited for that tag match. I remember it being a real good match with the uh, with Zach and Roy and really tearing up in New York all that night. And that was, was cool, you know, good experience. But he's Haskins, like I say, he's just a different level. So just trying to be able to oh, keep yeah. up what they're doing and trying to hang with them, really. I'm just worried when I get in there, I, can, I can't do it as fast as those guys can. So I'm just trying to keep up with the tempo. But yeah, it was good. <laughs> cool. And uh, like uh, after this as well, um, they brought back, um, well, the sport. So like and a lot of the t- you know there was quite a few nice uh, good British talents and um, did they ever get in contact with you like to uh, come onto the show? No, they never got into con- contact with me. And, and to be honest, I'm sure they just weren't interested in me. But I always in the back of my head that uh, Brian Dixon lost the buttons camps to uh, NGW. Right. You know, I won't go into any kind of detail how that was done or, or why he lost them. I don't want to get involved with the, the politics on this. But uh, they buttons or NGW, or it was Alex Shane at the time, so he rang me when they got them. He knew I was one of Brian's boys, but he said, listen, what would it, what would it take to get you back on Butlins? And uh, we'd like to have you on our team and stuff. And I said, Alex, give me an hour to think about it. And I just put the phone down and I wait. I thought about it and I thought, well, you know, he's offered me, you know, I've been honest, a, yeah. bit more money, a bit more money than Brian was paying me. And I thought, well, you know, I was thinking, you know, it would be nice. I enjoy doing Butlins. And I, 
And I knew Brian wouldn't really care, but I just thought about the boys in the back and I thought about sort of Tony Spitfire and Dino and all these lads that have given their lives to Brian, really, as wrestlers. And I, I just couldn't walk back into that changing room having kind of worked for the opposition. So I rang him back and I said, I appreciate your offer and thank you very much for thinking of me. But out of my loyalty to the boys more than Brian, uh, I don't want to come. You know, I'm still going to stay where I am and I'm going to stay with All Star. And, yeah. you know, I'm not in any way saying that's why I didn't get picked for World of Sport, but I know Alex was uh, involved with it and it probably didn't, it didn't look good on me, but whatever, you know, my, my friendship sometimes means more to me than a good paycheck. You know what I mean? And the fact that I can call sort of Spitty and Dean and James and these boys that are All-Star boys and I can call them sort of my friends means more to me than a nice payday for a couple of tapings. So. Yeah. And um, I think it was around about a time or even a few months before World Sport, um, Travis uh, passed away, which was terrible. Like, it, it was just, it was not just for the British wrestling world, it was like the whole wrestling world in general. Like, how did you feel when he passed away? I mean, I don't, we, we never close, like, if I've been brutally honest with you. I've, I've met him a handful of times. You know, I, uh, we weren't close friends, but obviously still hit me because he's a young lad and he, he's very yeah. similar to me because he's a wrestler. And uh, it just it lets you realise that, you know, life is very precious and we should be very thankful for what we've got and the opportunities we get. And, and not to, so don't take anything for granted, you know, just be, understand how lucky we are that we get to wrestle and, and do this thing that we wanted to do as children and, you know, yeah. make a living out of it. And yeah, just puts everything into perspective. And a lot of his close friends are, are friends of mine. So just seeing how it affected them was very sad. Yeah. Hopefully, it made us more or more a bit more aware of just sort of treating our bodies better and uh, and you know just being a bit more careful of how we act. You know, not how we act, but you know how we look after yeah. our bodies. And, and yeah, yeah. Cool. I was going to say, really, it was a very sad time, but yeah. Cool. And uh, obviously. Um... NXT UK, uh, NXT UK is a thing. So, uh, what's been your thoughts on it, like up to now? Yeah, it's great. You know, I, I, it's really good. Uh, yeah, not really many thoughts. I'd love to be involved. You know, I've, I've made that clear to some of the boys that are there, and I've, I've wrestled a few of the lads that have contracts, and they all say to me, "You know, why? When are you going to come and join us at NXT UK?" And they said, "Well, no one's, no one spoke to me." You know, and I've made it clear to them that I'd love to go there, and uh, I was sort of told to get in touch with William Regal just before the lockdown, he wants to have a chat with me. And it's, it could be to say, you're never going to come back, or it could be to say, come along for a tryout. But I don't know, but I've, I've, beat, I've sent a few emails to him and just playing that game now, just waiting to see what he says and seeing if we can line up some kind of tryout. And, you know, I, I obviously, I, I don't expect to walk in there. I'd, I'd love to just go there and yeah. just do the same as everybody else and just go put for my paces. I've, I'm only 33 and I'm, I'm in good condition. Yeah. But I feel like I can definitely go with the rest of them and just... Uh, it's one another shot, but like I say, yeah. I, I acted badly at times in, in Florida, and that could be the reason why he's calling me is just to say it's not going to happen. But even if that was the, the case, it'd be nice just to know, nice to know where you stand, and not yeah. to think about it. But to be honest, Joe, though, I do personally think because of lockdown and COVID, and everything, it. I even though like yeah, WWE still produces shows, I still think it has put everything like. Still, for example, because I know, like, because I, for example, have a working relationship with Impact Wrestling, and I know there's people who they would like to sign who they're waiting until how COVID comes about, how it finishes, and that. Mm. And I can imagine it's the same thing with NXT UK and like even NXT over in America, and that, like, they're just waiting to see what the state of the world's going to be before they start signing any more talents or things like that. So, I personally think myself, because you're, you are a great talent. You've got a great look and everything. And like I said, you've worked with a lot of the guys who was on NXT UK. I think it might be a case just waiting how COVID, you know, sorts itself out. And then I'm pretty sure you'll be getting a phone call pretty soon. I hope so. But, you know, I don't know. Like I, when I came back from America, I didn't, I, when they released me, I was kind of happy about being released because I, I hadn't seen my son for a long time. He was born when I first moved out to America. So to yeah, go man. back and see him was, a, was really cool. And I didn't think it really affected me, but I, I think it probably did affect me. I just didn't realise it at the time. When I came back, I had a, a terrible attitude in England and I was very grumpy in the changing rooms. And I think it was the fact that I'd come from WWE and I was coming back to a lot of the, the halls that I thought I'd left. Yeah. You know, I thought I'd sort of gone away and I wasn't going to come back. And it, it's kind of humbling to come back to some of those halls and be back to where you were before you went away and just sort of bite the bullet and realise that that dream that you've had is, is gone now. You've just got to come back and do what you did before. 
uh, and I did have a bad attitude and I definitely would have you know conducted myself badly and that will sort of pay a price now because people that are there now some of the guys that I probably didn't treat very well when I first came back and all they've got to say to the coaches there is oh no he's a, he's a bad guy to have around and, that, and that's all you need to to never get a job there so yeah it's one of those things but like I said before you can't change what happened in the past you just got to try and build the bridges and show people that you're not that person anymore and that you are different so yeah we'll see I'm sure, like it'll, um, I'm sure it'll work out well, I promise I'm sure it'll work out but one of the things you have done which not many people can say you've uh, went over to Japan and uh, proven to be successful in old Japan so what was it like getting the you know the phone call like we want you in Japan it must have been wow Japan <laughs> yeah I had a, a message in my junk folder on Facebook from uh, the old nice. Japan office and it's, I never check my junk folder on Facebook but there's some reason I did that day and it was maybe a couple of weeks old yeah. and I just ripped back and they said would you be interested in doing a Champions Carnival and I said oh yeah of course I would you know and I definitely wouldn't they put it to the office who I was some pictures and stuff and they said yeah we'd like to bring you out and this is the money we're going to pay you which is you know a lot more money than I get in England I thought this is this is really good and nice flights and a nice hotel and all this because all Japan was a big company so they, they treat you really well and went out there and I just thought this is great this is four week resting in Japan. They won't want to see me again. You know, they've got these superstars out there. They ain't going to ever want to see me again, but I'll go there for four weeks. And at least I can say, oh, I did Japan. You know, I've done Japan. I've wrestled in Japan. Before the end of the tour, they just come up to me and said, there's, there's two more tours. I want to bring you on. I want to bring you back in a month's time for a week. And then back in the month after that for like two weeks. And I went for five tours last year. You know, I was, I spent more time in Japan than I did in England. I was there a lot. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that my fiance is well, the reason she's my fiance is because she's a woman that lets me do that. You know, she does, she lets me go away most of the year to Japan and fulfill my dream, really. And she stands by me and supports me. So I'm very fortunate to, to have her um, and just that whole experience. I, you know, I've wrestled in a lot of countries in my career and I've had a lot of opportunities and there's nothing comes close to Japan. I just absolutely adore the culture and the people and the way they respect the business and the way you're treated as a professional athlete. Is just everything every wrestler would ever want, and uh, it's just been an incredible experience. And I was meant to be there for this year's Champions Carnival, obviously that got postponed, and we couldn't get out there. And uh, I can't fly there at the moment; they won't let us into the country. So I'm just waiting now to hopefully get back out there next year. And uh, yeah, it's just it's incredible. And, and, and to me, they're just wrestlers. There's no like I said, I can't cut a promo. I can't do an interview. But there's yeah. no you need to there because when I do do a promo, it's all dubbed or subtitled because I'm doing most of them don't speak English in Japan, so you're yeah. sort of shouting at the microphone a bit. So you've got to let your rest in, do the talking. And I feel like from from my time of All Star, my time around James and Spitty and Dean and these boys, I've, I've learned that British style, you know, to a moderate standard, not as good as them, but to a good enough standard that when I do it out there, it does get a great reaction from the crowd. And I can do stuff out there that they've never ever seen before, and, it, and they really. They really love it. And look at people like Pete Roberts, who was a big star in all Japan, or, or David Boy and Dynamite, who were big stars there, and doing that British style. They haven't seen it for such a long time. So when I do do it, it some of the old sure. office, some of the old office boys there and sort of takes them back to those days and they go, or Steve Wright and people and they go, oh, this is I remember Steve Wright doing that reversal. Oh, it's so great to see that again twenty five years later, you know. So it's done really well for me. And it doesn't hurt your body, you know, we took at least some of these sort of high risk styles that you see now, the sort of strong style stuff, it's brilliant. And some of these high flying moves are fantastic. I'm not knocking those boys at all because I can't do it, but it takes yeah. a hell of a toll on you on your body. You know, and I, Will Ospreay is, is a world class wrestler. He's outstanding, but I've seen Will in a lot of pain at times where it has taken a lot of toll on his body. And it's something that he just, the sacrifice that he makes to the crowd to do that style. Yeah. The British style. You know, it doesn't really hurt my body. I'm only doing rolls or I'm just doing these little reversals on the mat. And I can do that. And I can do that 20 shows in 25 days like we do in Japan. And I'm yeah. fine on the bus. You know, it doesn't hurt me at all. So it's a good style to learn and to be able to do. Yeah. And one of the main guys uh, you tagged with was uh, Yoshitatsu. Uh, Yoshitatsu. He yeah. was in WWE as well, which uh, I always thought he was a underrated worker as well. So it's been great, like, tagging with him because he's very talented as well. Yeah, yeah, and I've known Yoshi from Florida, so I knew him already, and uh, yeah. he speaks good English, so he's perfect for me, because oh, he can perfect. translate what a lot of the Japanese boys say, because most of them don't speak any English, so I need yeah. him to sort of translate to me what they want from the match, or what they want to do, and stuff, and uh, and to be honest with you, he sells a lot of merchandise, he's quite big in Japan, so 
help my merchandise sales. And my merchandise sales and my beer money, I, you know, I try and keep my wrestling money and that's what I take yeah. home with me and the, the merchandise is for beers with the boys. So if we're selling good merchandise, selling a lot of t-shirts, it's a good night out with the with the Joe Doring and these lads. So it's all good with me. Cool. So, uh, and then obviously COVID put a stop to like everything. I, I don't think I didn't like, I didn't expect how much of an effect it would have on the world as well. It is like COVID and uh, how have you like cope with it? Cause you know, it's just like stopping shows and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yes, yes. So no shows, so no, no income. And then uh, I, I work as a personal trainer and the gyms were closed. So yeah. I was working as a fitness coach. Cause I just, I moved to Salisbury in January. So I literally moved here and then had a lockdown. So yeah. I, my job as a fitness coach was scrapped because the gyms was closed. So I didn't have any, Income real, I was furloughed from the gym, but it wasn't much money because we're only on a 12 hour contract, so it's like 400 quid a month, so it's not enough to pay the bills. Yeah, so I just had to get a job, so I just started uh, working in a retail store, just stacking the shelves, and, uh, and I'm still doing it now. I'm, I do um, three days there and three days in the gym, and I do some PT on the side, so I'm doing a lot of work. But I'm used to working a hard schedule, but yeah. I'm sort of back in the gym as a receptionist, and I'm stacking shelves in the store. And there was, I remember, an incident in the store where you know, a couple of young lads come in, they're, they're looking down the aisle at me and I'm putting the kitchen knives or whatever on the, on the hooks. And these two boys are looking at me and one of them gets the courage to come up and speak to me and he sort of tapped me on the shoulder and went, you were, you used to be a wrestler. I said, yeah, 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 I am a wrestler. You were an NXT, NXT tag team champion. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, a long time ago. So oh, we used to really enjoy watching you on NXT and listening, Christ, that's pretty cool. But at the same time, like, no, not a knock in any way on people that work in retail stores. It's a hell of a hard job, but you kind of think, bloody hell, yeah. I've gone from WWE on Sky Sports to, you know, stacking the shelves here in the in the store. But maybe it's a good test of a man, you know, when you humble oh, enough to just do the work and pay your bills. So. Yeah. And like I said, once, you know, everything starts easing up, hopefully, you know, get back into the routine of what you want to do. And uh, one of the things I did want to talk about is your, um, you're starting to go around the wrestling schools now. Now, in fact, they're starting to reopen again and uh, you said you enjoyed uh, coaching so uh so i really want to talk about so how much have you enjoyed doing that yeah i've done i've always done seminars for a long time for different little schools but it's nice to be able to actually coach wrestling again i, I had a wrestling school in devon when i was young when i was early 20s we started to think of the dwa down in devon's where um, yeah. dick riley and pj jones some very good wrestlers that come out of the school that i taught me and the local uk dominator taught them so I have got experience in training, but obviously I know a lot more now than I did when I was 22. You know, I've had all that time in America and time in Japan, all that sort of knowledge to pass on. And you know, I get very uh, passionate when I train people. I really love to teach, and it's a real passion of mine. That's probably why I'm a personal trainer as well, because I enjoy yeah. teaching people and seeing improvements in people and helping them reach their goals. And It's very difficult. I mean, like I say, there's more schools now, so I guess it's easier in a way. But it was difficult when I started to be a wrestler. I never dreamed of going to America. Uh, and it's just, and growing up on an isolated farm and then ending up in America in, in Tampa, you know, wrestling Roman Reigns on house shows. You, you didn't expect that to happen when you were a kid on the farm. So it's letting some of these people know at the schools that, you know, anything's possible for any of you. And don't ever think that just because you're too small or you're never going to make it to the big time so anyone can get there you know and I'm, I'm proof of that too and just use me as the example that you can you can do it as well it's just it's all about effort and hard work and if you're willing to put make the sacrifice and put the work in you'll get there as well so just trying to let people realize that and let them know that and i've had a few um people at some of these seminars or some of the schools that i teach they come to me and go do you really do you think i've ever got a chance of making it you just sort of say to them of course you have you just got to you know, just keep working hard and keep improving and keep a keep a good head about you. Don't don't be a don't be an idiot backstage and just be respectful. It's all right. So we're down to the uh, final segment of the show. So it's called that nineties wrestling podcast. So personality test. I'm gonna throw out some nineties uh, based questions to you and uh, we'll see what we can get. Yeah, sure. Cool. So I know you said you was principal on the farm and you didn't watch much TV, but I'll ask you anyway, what was your favorite nineties movie? See, this is what I mean. I don't know what nice <laughs> movie. Do you know a film that I really liked as a kid? It's a bit random, but I like the film called Swingers. It was Vince Vaughn in. John Favreau, I think, directed it. Was he's in it as well? But it's a very yeah. random film. But I remember. I think it might be late nineties, maybe early two thousands. But that, yeah. for some reason, that was one of my favourite films when I was younger. I don't know why. It's about sort of a couple of boys going away to Vegas for a lads' night out in Vegas. But 
maybe that wasn't maybe that was the writing on the wall for my NXT days. <laughs> <but I don't> <laughs> <know>. <laughs> your, your favorite 90s uh, TV show. God, again, I used to watch Fresh Prince of Bel Air as a kid. Is that 90s? Oh, I don't know. That's 90s. That's 90s. There you go. Fresh Prince of Bel Air was pretty good when I was younger. I remember that. Good. Biker mice, mice from Mars. That Biker might be nice. Yeah, I remember that too. That was good. I loved it, and uh, it's it's funny because uh, whenever I ask like your wrestlers these questions, and the, the, because I, we're about the same sort of age, I'm thirty one, so we're a similar sort of age. And when I ask all these wrestlers like the TV shows in the nineties, I'm like, well, it's weird, like knowing we had the same taste in like TV shows and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, your favorite nineties uh, wrestler. Uh yeah, again, I probably started watching it in the in the two thousands. Um, Benoit is my favorite wrestler of all time. So I guess Benoit and his work in the nineties, especially his stuff like the Super J Cups in Japan, was uh, as a wrestler something that I would study. So he's a massive inspiration. And like another wrestler that just stands out to me is Bret Hart. I just I'm a big yeah. Bret Hart fan. You know, I think uh, again, I didn't watch him with a kid because I didn't watch wrestling with a kid. But having looked back at tapes uh, and reading his book and that kind of stuff, so I can really begin to understand how good he really was. And I think. For me, as a in terms of nineties wrestlers, Bret Hart was someone that stand out to me. He was one of the best. And uh, last one, your favorite nineties uh, match? Oh, Christ! <laughs> I like Bret Hart and Owen Hart from WrestleMania Ten. I mean, that's a good yeah. match. Yeah, it's cool. You know, just to watch those guys go at it like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Nineties match. I like the, the Finley and Regal from WCW. Well, crap over each other. Just. It's good, you know. It's nice to see British guys doing well. It's only time yeah. you see British guys being successful. It's, it's good to me. Um, yeah, I don't know the matches. There's loads of good matches, isn't there? I don't know. The Iron Man, Brett and Sean was good. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I've got the same attitude like uh, when it comes to British wrestlers because um, people say to me, oh, you're biased because you just want the British guys to win. And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> they, we're English. We want to see yeah, yeah, you want to see British guys do well, you know. Like when I read these autobiographies, I've recently really got into reading wrestlers' autobiographies. I never used to read books, and I started when I was going to Japan. I'd start buying books because a lot of times you're on the bus for a long time, where you're in the hotels and you're on, you need something to do. So I'm reading these books, and I always try and find books where there's things where I can relate to. So like Jericho's book, or especially Regal's book. You know, I just love it because like a lot of these places they're talking about, I've been to. You know, a lot of these yes. guys when they've been to Japan and Rapongi and stuff in Tokyo, I've, I've been there. I know all about those guys, and they're speaking about people that I've met or I know. So I really enjoy reading some of those books. And yeah, it's, it's good. That's the thing. Uh, since I started this show, like I really want to speak to a lot of the British wrestlers. So I've spoke to yourself, um, the Blossom Twins, who's left wrestling now, uh, Nick Holders, which I had a great time, and uh, Tom Latimer. I think he might be coming on the show soon. Can't oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's got such a great story as well, and um, I always like seeing my guys go over there and succeed. So yeah. you know, it's just great. But uh, but yeah. Uh, Joe, it's been a great chat. Do you want to flick your social media where they can find you and also your wrestling seminars? Uh, my social media is j.redman87 on Instagram and uh, I don't even know, Joel Redman Pro on Twitter. But, you know, I'm going to listen and I know it's we're meant to be good at social media in this day and age and I, I'm just not good. I, I really apologise for that. I don't understand why anyone want to watch me working out in the gym and I don't want to take shirtless pictures in the changing room mirrors. The gym I go to and the gym I work at is a very sport, spit and sawdust gym. And the idea of even wearing a vest in there would be frowned upon. So oh, setting up my camera to film myself do a bench press is a, a bit of a no-go, I'm afraid. But So don't expect too much good content. And uh, when me and Michelle go for dinner, I know a lot of the boys like to um, post a lot of their personal life um, on social media. And I know that is kind of the way it's done now. And, and you should be able to do that. And I know the crowd likes to see what we do, but... I am a little bit old school, and uh, with me and yeah. Michelle go for dinner, uh, and in not a bad way. I just it's my own personal time, and I don't want to be posting our private life for people to see. Yeah. Really. So I will do my best to improve. So if you want to follow me on one of those things, I hope that I'll improve the content a little bit and show you a bit more footage of what I do day to day. But uh, yeah, don't expect too much from me. Cool. I'm the same to be honest, Joe. Like, um, like I basically have me Twitter and Instagram just purely for this show. Yeah. But, like, family things like my wife and my kids like i just don't post it it's just like that's my yeah. private it's exactly exactly Fa things like, like facebook i can put it facebook on private and i can make it a bit more uh, just for my close friends to see but yeah you know i just the uh, there's certain things that you want to have as your own little 
private world that you don't need people to know about. And I think it kills the magic of wrestling. You know, I didn't, yeah. I didn't want to see Hulk Hogan pissed up in a bar with his mates. You know, you want to see Hulk Hogan as this, this icon and this superhero that came out and beat up the baddies. So I think wrestling maybe should still be that way a little bit and there should be a bit of mystique about us. But I know, agree. It's, it's all changed a bit, isn't it? Yeah. Cool. Well, it's been a great chat, Joe. Thanks uh, very much for getting back to me. I think I read the message like, Two or three weeks ago, then when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, he's responded," and it was like, "Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. great, thank you." It's another one of those junk folder deals. I'm afraid it just—it was in the. I think <laughs> we're not friends on Instagram at the time or something. It just went on to the, the junk yeah. folder bit, and I just—I just looking in today, and I saw it today, and I thought, "Oh no, I've got to get back to you quick because I do like doing these podcasts. It's nice. It's great. Obviously, I appreciate coming on the show, and it's great exposure for me. And that's what thank you. You know, we, we all as wrestlers appreciate what you're doing and the rest of the guys are doing with these podcasts because there isn't any wrestling at the moment. Michelle yeah, doesn't, Michelle doesn't want to watch it or hear about it anymore. She's sick of the backseat of it after six years. <laughs> so it's nice to be able to have a chat with someone about wrestling and just, uh, yeah, get some exposure, much needed exposure at this time. Oh, uh, yeah. And like, if you want to come on again, uh, you know, I'll be more than grateful for to come on again. And I guarantee we'll definitely be seeing you on the Headaches to UK soon once everything, when the, once the world becomes normal again, I'm pretty sure that because you got your great talent, you've got the look and yeah, I can definitely see it happen. Well, fingers crossed. Let's get out of this. Let's get out of this nonsense first and get back to shows. We will. And seeing that I'm living not too far from you as well, once I know where your schools are, I've got three boys, six, four and three. I might have to sign them up. <laughs> yeah, well, the, so yeah, the rest of the school is in Salisbury. So if you look on Facebook, it's uh, I'm very, very fortunate that it's All Star Wrestling South or ASW South. I, I asked Brian Dixon for permission to use the All Star name. Uh, Brian's 50th year was this year. Was good yeah. year to choose. Um, and he, as much as Brian won't admit it, I don't think there's that many more years left. He's a, he's in his 70s now. And, yeah. Uh, Dean's got his school up in Liverpool, the All Star school up there. But I just wanted to keep the name alive because to me it just means so much and then have the all-star wrestling south was a big deal to me anyone that's interested in wrestling i only teach on the mats i have got access to a ring i have chose not to put the ring up yet uh, i just want to teach guys on the mat first of all um, i was taught in judo judo background i think a lot of wrestling now is is great but it's quite choreographed and i think we've lost a little bit of the art of sort of shooting a little bit and how to actually control people and wrestle on the, on the floor so my school is very much it's not killer conditioning, it is conditioning, it's not going to kill you, but a lot of it is just it's submission holes, takedowns, reversals, and it's all on mats. And you know, I want to try and teach my students how to be wrestlers and they can learn the, the flips and the big moves and the cool routines afterwards, but they need to get a real good fundamentals in wrestling, how to move people, how to kind of shoot almost a little bit, because it will help them a lot in their careers. So if you're interested in wrestling, it's ASW South on, uh, on Facebook. Find the page, uh, join, I'll accept you and hit me a mess with a message and we'll get people down to start training. Yep. I'll be sure to put the uh, links in the description once this uh, goes up on YouTube. Great, thank you. A big help. Thanks. Right, thanks again, Joe, and hopefully we can do this again soon. No problems, anytime. Thank you very much. Hey everyone, thanks for listening, hope you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to also head over to our YouTube channel where you can watch all our interviews in video format and catch our top 25 countdowns. And if you could like and subscribe, that'd be even better for us. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at that 90s wrestling podcast. Till next time, we'll see you then. Bye.